0: Once when I was at security at the airport, staff patted down my Afro because they needed to check for something suspicious. When I was traveling in Southeast Asia, a car full of tourists drove past and shouted out the window, Negro at me. My first time surfing in California, a guy walked past and loudly said, whoa, I've never seen a black surfer before. This week, we're talking racial identity. And regardless of what race you are, if you are a person of color, you have opinions and I want to hear them. If you're a white woman, don't worry. You're still in the right place. Just listen. Last year, we had this huge moment with race, which many people referred to as a racial reckoning. Side note, as my girl, Michelle Norris said, a reckoning is a moment when we finally deal with the ugly situation. We're not quite there yet. We've just admitted that it happened. But we did finally talk about how racism gets into every single nook and cranny of our lives, our education, our police systems, our travel, the list goes on. I wanted to talk about what it means to identify as a black woman on an individual level. I'm not gonna lie, it can be heavy. It can be wonderful, but it can also be heavy. Do you even want to identify as a black woman? Is it too much to ask? Would it be crazy to even consider changing our race? Listen to the conversation and tell me what you think. I am really excited about today's guest. Uh, Logo Ogunbote is a world traveler extraordinaire, a lawyer turned football player that is soccer for our American friends um, she is incredibly insightful so kind a dear friend of mine um, and makes an incredible jollof rice as well when you know you know um, welcome Lola Aguavote to the show
1: thank you so much for having me I'm excited for this conversation actually so yeah thank you so much
0: you've been all over the place you've lived in Mozambique Australia South Africa China England where did I miss
1: uh, India? Did we say India? Did we say Dubai? I did not say
0: India. Did not Dubai. I am really excited to talk to you today about your experiences in all of these places that you've been in, um specifically as an educated black woman, um, especially given the conversations around race that we've been having this past year. Before we even get to that, though, you've got a really interesting story. How did you even come to be a lawyer and a football coach? Like, Tell me a little bit about how that came to be.
1: I started playing football at a very young age at primary school. And I knew it was a gift um, that I had been blessed with. And I wanted to play um, every day, everywhere that I was. I wanted to be involved in the game. It turned out that I couldn't pursue it as much as I wanted to. Um, I then had to look at my educational aspirations and being Nigerian, there are predetermined choices for your career, right? You're either going to be a a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer or an accountant. Those are the four options. And my maths was pretty bad. I had no desire to be a doctor. So law kind of fell naturally to me. And I pursued that um, and did quite well. Uh, I didn't love it um i enjoyed it i embraced it i think um there came a point where i was at a really turning point in my career where i thought if i was to stay in this job the rest of my life would i be happy would i be content would i be okay and the answer after some deep digging was no um and then i had to then follow that up with well if i'm not doing this what else could i be doing or should i be doing and it came back to my first love which was football and so I just took the courage to quit my job at that time with no real solid plans actually come to think of it as to what I was gonna do next. Um, and things just began to fall in place. And I ended up pursuing a coaching opportunity with Arsenal Football Club in London, which coincidentally happens to be the team that I support. I remember
0: when, at that the time, I remember when you said, I'm not gonna be a lawyer anymore Nicole, I'm gonna go and do football. And that was a really big deal, especially because of, you know, as you mentioned, it was huge. You didn't necessarily have a plan. You had a lot of expectations from family um, and friends, probably, and maybe even yourself. So, like, can you tell me a bit about like, like, was it scary making that decision?
1: It probably was one of the hardest decisions to make because there was no guarantee that I was going to succeed. And logic would tell you to leave a lucrative job that's well paid and revered anywhere you go. You walk into a room and you say you're a lawyer and people kind of, you know, sit back and go, okay, she's probably got a bit about her. It was, it was very daunting to leave that behind, to pursue something that I knew I loved, but I didn't know how I was going to make money.
0: So you've taken this, this leap of faith, you're leaving law um, behind and you're jumping into the world of um, being a coach, being a football coach. This is your dream job. Tell me a bit about traveling um as a black woman but also working as a black woman in these spaces I'd love to start with Mozambique.
1: Mozambique um first of all is kind of in the southern part of Africa um I'm Nigerian so we're in the west so I, I I felt confident that I would kind of be able to navigate myself around an African country without really knowing that there are serious nuances between each country, which which sounds obvious, but I just assumed like being African and going to Africa, I'd be at an advantage. I was traveling with two other colleagues who were both white, and I thought I would have the upper hand. Um, and we got there, and it was just, you know, I remember traveling there and it taking like over two days. Um, I landed in South Africa and then had to. Bus from South Africa through Zimbabwe to Mozambique um, It was a killer journey. I got there and I was I was in I was I was surprised because it it wasn't anything like Nigeria. Nigeria. Um, Lagos is a big bustling busy city, and Monika, the town I was staying in in Mozambique, was very much quiet. It was um, intimate. Everybody kind of knew everybody, and it was a welcomed uh, difference for me you talk about obviously navigating it as a as a black woman and I think being in Africa I was very much I felt that I'd you know I'd I'd take it to like a duck to water but what I didn't anticipate was that being with two other white guys in Africa and myself being African I was actually weirdly at a disadvantage because suddenly you had these people who were like glorifying my colleagues because they're white and you know they've not seen many white people before and they've not been around it um the native well one of the languages spoken in in Mozambique is Portuguese and one of my co-workers was fluent in Portuguese so there was so much more of an attachment to him than there was to me which I found to be really strange because I was like wait I'm African and I'm in an African country with my peoples essentially but other people that are much more foreign in my eyes, um, and further away culturally, are being brought in like they're the best things since sliced bread, and that wasn't anything that they've done particularly, but it was just a perception of how that kind of white savior complex and um, they're here to save us type thing just just came in, and I really struggled with that because I felt rightly or wrongly that I, I should have had an upper hand, being an African, that I should have been able to connect more and it didn't happen. Yeah,
0: that is so interesting, especially when you have that expectation going in. I think I felt very similarly um, in India. I worked and lived in India for a little while, um, but it was a similar situation. I was like, oh, yeah, everyone's brown. Like, it's all good. <laughs> Being very oblivious and, and ignorant and a bit naive to colorism uh, in, in India and also traveling with my white colleagues, I went for a massage. And I remember at the beginning of the massage, this woman just like, just, <laughs> just squeezing my hair. And I hadn't had, I, I was like, okay, yeah, this is Ayurvedic Massage, I haven't had it before, no idea really, I wasn't educated on it. So was like, is that part of the massage? And she just, for a full five minutes, I, I kid you not, like to the point of slight, I mean, it was fairly awkward. And that was one of the more, you know, sillier examples. Um, I remember going to this um, museum and there was, there were five Indian men sort of on a bench and they all just stared at me just I was about six foot maybe maybe 10 feet away and they just stared and it wasn't necessarily with curiosity it was with like you are different and bad and it was they were it was really hostile I was just surprised because I just thought I'm more similar to you than I am different but they were actually more used to seeing my white colleagues or, or had that perception of white colleagues than they were of me and there's also some really interesting stereotypes in india specifically um about black women and black men and african women and african men um that just yeah just it surprised me um but i i want to see what you thought about china because you were there for a lot longer shy of three years and so living in beijing for three years your football coaching what was that like Specifically, as a black woman, was it something that you thought about a lot or often, or was it not something that you thought
1: about at all? I was also quite naive in my decision to kind of go to Beijing. And I'd heard all kinds of things about Beijing, but I wanted to kind of give it its own chance. I remember landing in Beijing airport and watching other people like busing and getting their cameras out and so. There was like a celebrity or somebody in the airport, and everyone's like rushing and looking to take pictures. And I remember being like, "Like, who is this person? Like, I want to get a picture too." And then slowly realizing that actually they were rushing to take pictures of me, and that I, I was the person that they were rushing to take pictures of because I was black and I was seen as um, a rarity. And people hadn't necessarily seen black people before, and um, they wanted to get a glimpse and so I had cameras in my face and it was very overwhelming I'd just done a 12-hour flight from London to Beijing and I'd landed and I'm trying to figure out where I am it's not an English-speaking country I'm trying to navigate characters and find the exit and I've got all these people taking pictures of me and I just thought whoa like this is intense and I remember like being asked the kind of go a separate route to everybody else and being checked over and being asked questions and it was just very overwhelming and I didn't understand the context because I hadn't bothered one to do my research and two I hadn't heard from anybody else it was only until I you know stayed for a while and got kind of accommodated and acclimatized that I realized that yes like it was definitely because I was black like and people just were curious and wanted to no, feel my hair. Like I had so many people just, just like you said, just dive into my hair, and I'm like, this is my personal space. Like, you're, please, like I don't even know you, and this is obviously pre-COVID. I'm like, have you even washed your hands? Like, it's just crazy. <laughs> like, like you want to come and like rub your hands in my hair? Like, it was just very invasive. Very invasive.
0: I can't imagine already feeling like you're sticking out, but then to have people be like, oh, let me take a picture.
1: It was intense and. You'd have people like shove their babies in your hand because they wanted a picture with you with their baby because you're black. And there's part of me that's like, you know, there was no harm done. But after a while, it just got exhausted. Like, you know, you can't travel anywhere without somebody shoving an iPhone in your face. Some people were nice and asked politely. And I was always more receptive to people who were like, oh, like, can I take a picture? And I'm like, sure, like, yeah, take a picture. And then you've got people who just didn't care. You just got a flash in your face. I'm like, look, at least let me look my best. If this is the first black person you're ever going to see, let it be a nice picture. Like, just chill out, (laughs) step back, and we can pose for it. I'm I'm pretty relaxed anyway. And most of the time I'd embrace it because I'm just like, you know what, if this is the first interaction they're going to have with a black person, I ought to make it a fun and engaging not that I ought to, but I felt that I should make it a good mm. interaction so that at least they're, they're, they're leaving with an impression that, oh, okay, there, there is no difference. Like, she's, she's cool. She, you know, she was receptive. She wanted to take a picture. She was
0: nice. I was thinking recently about racial identity and identifying as a black woman. And sometimes... I feel that we are just seen as black, right? And that is a huge part of our identity. Of course, it's a huge part of who we are. But as you were just saying, you felt like you ought to be some kind of way, right? Because people, you know, you're the only one. You're the first one. And it's this concept of like tokenism or being the only one that actually puts, we don't really think about it in the time. But as you look back, you're like, Doing that every day, every single interaction for three years, for five years, for 10 years, for your whole life, that actually takes a toll because sometimes you don't want to be friendly. <laughs> sometimes you don't want to be nice. What do you think about that burden maybe? Or And, and I, I know some people could say, but it's not, it, nothing negative happened. It was usually positive. People were friendly. But what do you what do you think about that?
1: I've got kind of mixed feelings about it. At the end of the day, no one's asked me to be in China, right? If I don't like it, I can get out and go home. There's there's that argument. I'm a guest in somebody else's country, um, and I'm very much of the view that you try to fit in and acclimatise rather than be this arrogant person that's like, well, if 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 I'm from England and no one speaks English here, then this is a problem. Like I'm not not trying to move like that. And then you've got the the responsibility of being black and knowing that you are always going to be held to a higher standard. And so if I were to go on the way that perhaps came naturally to me, which would be to just throw your phone to the floor, maybe exchange a few choice words and be on my way, that's not going to benefit me in the long run, even though that might be how I feel I kind of feel there's this sense of responsibility to make sure that interaction is positive so that the next black woman they meet, they're going to be less apprehensive. Whereas if I go in all guns blazing, I set a precedent that I don't set a precedent, but the inference is that all black women are like this. It's not because I want it to be that way, but it's because that's the way people are conditioned. They're more forgiving towards other races and as a black woman, I did not feel I had the luxury of behaving the way I wanted to without it being a reflection not only on me, but of many women to come after me. It it was a burden. And um, there were times that I'd be going out with my friends, and you know, I'm I'm having people tap on my shoulder and they're not being tapped. And it, you know, it's you kind of smile politely, and it, it was exhausting. It, it, I won't lie, it was exhausting, but. On the flip side, I'm like, I didn't have to be there. I, I could have just gone back to London. <laughs>
0: like, that's real talk. So, no, yeah, absolutely, real talk. But even realer talk, do you not feel the same thing on some level happens in London and in America and in, like, and in our hometowns? Um, I think about my dad, my dad working in the medical space. And I remember he would tell me about stories of him having patients that did not want to be treated by him. Um, and him being very much similar to what you're saying, I'm going to be positive, I'm going to be friendly, I'm going to be polite, and I'm going to do my job well so that they know that they had a positive interaction, they can go away thinking the opposite of whatever they came in here thinking. And I know that he had several of those experiences. I know that I've had several of those experiences in England and in America, especially as I'm traveling around in these um Rural places, you know, being in Montana, middle of nowhere, um, southern Utah. And often people have not had interaction with black people. They don't, apart from the media. Just the other day, I went out on a run and this woman came along her dog was there first i saw her dog first and it surprised me because i hadn't seen anyone for miles i realized that i quickly was actually scared by them she was scared by me but i realized that i quickly changed myself to be smiling and friendly even though we were both scared by each other because i didn't want her to be scared by my blackness I think I have, and this is just something I've been reflecting on, I think I have in me something that wants other people to feel comfortable with me and my blackness. And I think it's something that I have experienced both. I know I've experienced it in England and I know I've experienced it in America. What do you you think?
1: I think there's a lot of responsibility that comes with being black. You occupy spaces where people already have preconceived ideas about who you are. And I don't know, and maybe I've not researched enough, whether that's true for a lot of other races but I know for sure like I'll get into workspaces and you know there might be a particular artist or style of music playing and people assume that I know who that is or they assume that that's my jam because I'm black or you know or if there's a a dancing competition oh no, no no you go out I'm sure you can dance like so there are times where I'm like I feel obliged to kind of fit that stereotype because it's safe. It's what they, other people expect of me and it's, it's okay. I'm operating in a safe space. There are other times where I feel like um, I need to, to tone down my blackness so that I'm not seen or perceived as a threat or as overbearing or as loud or as aggressive. I am loud, I'm a loud person. Um, and I am aggressive I can be aggressive we all can we can all be loud or we can all be aggressive but for some reason those labels stick longer and harder to me than other people and other races and so that was exhausting having to in especially in England having to kind of tone it down um so that people didn't look down on me because I was black and I didn't want to be looked down on I wanted to be seen as an equal and so I would I often became a chameleon because I had to change and adapt to suit my environment and so the Lola that you got with high-flying barristers is not the Lola you got on a football field full of football fanatics is not the Lola you got at a Nigerian party is not the Lola you got with my home girlfriends. Some might argue, well, that's the same with me. I wouldn't be this person I am at work that I am at home. But there's a, just a different nuance to that, and I can't quite articulate what it is, but there is this expectation that as a black woman, you're being judged, you're being watched harder for your slip-ups than other races. I, I And I'll take the criticism, criticism for it, but that's what I believe and that's what I feel. And so there are only a few spaces where I can really, truly say that I'm myself. And what that does to you as well is it confuses you because you don't know who you are. Because you're doing all this manoeuvring, you have to actually sit back and be like, which Lola do I have to be today? Like, where am I going? Like, it it it, it was almost like a mental checklist. All right, I'm going into this place. Let me not be using ratchet words. Let me not be dancing too much to my tunes. Let me just be um and it, it is it, it can be really exhausting because you then have this loss of identity like who are you and why does your blackness have to be such a focal point of your identity
0: that leads me beautifully onto my between us questions so each episode i have a question that is typically a tricky one to answer i think especially as black people we are often forced or conditioned or encouraged or just it just is the way it is that we have to constantly think about our blackness um i don't know if you saw lovecraft country in that series there the one of the main characters who is black has an opportunity to temporarily become a white woman and so we see her navigating these spaces as a white woman and then going back to being a black woman um between us do you ever wish that you could change uh your race
1: That's a really good question. I embrace my blackness and I wouldn't change it for anyone else. But there was a time that I used to literally wish I was white, which sounds really strange coming from me now. But I just used to wish I was white because I I, I used to envy. I, I, I mean, I grew up in the 90s and you'd open magazines and all you saw were gorgeous white women with long blonde hair, you see adverts, and black people are always portrayed as the villains. Like it, 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 it was not a good time in the nineties in East London to be black. It really wasn't. And so, I'd be lying if I didn't say I had white envy. I.e., I wanted to be white because I, I sensed at a very young age that it would be an easier path for me, that I'd be able to get away with a lot more, that I'd be able to make friends more easily that I'd be accepted into spaces that I wanted to be without question. Um, I I came to a point where I detested being black. I hated my hair, hated my nose, hated my lips. I just hated everything about me because society had me thinking that I was undesirable. And what was desirable was the opposite of me, which was being white. And so, yeah, between us, I'd say that, that there were times in my life that I wanted to be white and I wanted to be white because my understanding was my limited understanding was that it would make my life so much easier with the benefit of hindsight I realized that I couldn't be more wrong or more far from the truth and actually my resilience my ability to be successful my drive my energy my love of life food supermarket is all because I'm black and I embrace my blackness, my broad nose, my lips, my hair—even though it's in a wig right now. But you know, it's all—it's all because I realize that it's a part of my DNA and it's core to who I am. I don't want to be judged simply by it, but I acknowledge that without it, I'm nothing. And and I think this is a a really exciting time to be black because. We're seeing more role models. We're seeing us represented on TV. We're seeing us represented in magazines. Um, There's a space being created. Could there be more? Of course there could be more. But um, I think we're making very tiny steps towards... Elevating and embracing
0: the black woman. I think it, I am so hopeful for the next generation because it's different now. It, it's not perfect, but it is different. Um, we are like the whole natural hair movement, you know. Like, I remember my mum would not let me relax my hair when I was younger, and I begged her like I so wanted to be jumping around in pools with the mermaid hair like I really whereas me I was petrified of a little bit of rain in the sky because I always had my natural hair and oh my gosh what if what if it rained and what if everyone saw that I have afro hair like I was so scared of it and now now it's like people you know we're rocking teeny weeny afros and shaving off our hair it seems like hair is such a small thing but hair is huge for 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 me and for us as black women and so i'm hopeful too that things are improving i was in a zoom event the other day with two um, black women of different generations both um, activists and and organizers um, and they were talking about how there is beauty in the struggle so there will always be a struggle right like even if uh, we achieve racial equity, there will always be some kind of struggle, I and mean, that there is actually a lot of beauty in that struggle. What do you hope for for your nieces, for the next generation, for
1: people that come after us? My hope is that they don't have my experience. My hope is that they see themselves being reflected in whatever life situations or choices that they want to pursue. My hope is that they feel elevated, that they feel empowered and that they own their blackness and they're never shy to identify with being black.
0: Do you think, especially given everything that happened last year, all of these racial convers- um, racial equity conversations, racial justice conversations, do you think that we will achieve racial equity, racial justice, true true, true racial justice in our lifetime? Do you think that we'll see that happen? Um... The answer
1: is no. Not in my lifetime. I'm 34. I hope to live until I'm 90. I think 100 would be a bit long. But I don't think things will change significantly from the way they are now. And people might think that's a very pessimistic view. But the reality is if you understand the changes that need to be made, at the very least, we're doing... 500 years of work we're undoing we need to undo 500 years of work and to my mind to undo 500 years of work we'll need at least 500 years until we reach an equilibrium and then we then we move from there that doesn't mean we don't put our energy towards the fight for equity and for equality and for justice um that doesn't mean our efforts are in vain it means that we can stand with a conscience saying that we used our agency, we used our freedom, we used our time for the benefit of the next generation to hand the baton over. I think of people like Rosa Parks who perhaps would be looking at our day thinking, this is beyond equity. You can ride a bus, you can get on a train, you can own property, you can have a bank account. What more could you possibly ask for? And then move it to our time where hopefully my great grandchildren can say I can apply for a job with my full Nigerian name and not be treated any other way. I can be um, a CEO of any business and no one's going to try and rip me down. I can walk down the street and not be profiled because I'm black. Um, Look at how much progress we've made.
0: I think that is the best note to leave things on. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been so good to have this conversation with you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You made it to the end. So now I want to
0: know, tell me, what do you think? Have you ever thought about changing your racial identity? Is it crazy to even think about that? What does it mean to you to be a woman of colour? Tell me below. And don't worry, it's all just between us.